the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. It's the Wine Women Radio Hour, folks, and I am one of your co-hosts, Marsha Meekumber, here with Misty Rodebush-Kane. Hello, Hello, listeners. Hi. And Lisa Adams-Walter. Hey, Lisa. Hello, everybody. So we're Thanks all spread out. We're all in the we're all in the North Bay in California, but we're further. We're, we're all sheltering in place, doing our thing individually. Um, I just wanted to check in briefly before we introduce our guest on people's observations just for the last week. Um, I've been spending a bunch of my time um, focusing on a client with a lot of very high-end wines, a lot of um, collector wines. So it's been interesting to see that there's been a lot of news this week in the wine industry about some upcoming collector auctions coming up and how controversial some of the lots may be um, versus just the regular stuff. Um, But that's kind of been taking up my time this past week. How about you, Misty? Yeah, same same thing. I've been um, I've had a little bit of time to regroup and to um, sort of look at some data, which is always fun. Um, and I think our listeners might enjoy to know um, that Google just recently put out a really interesting report, and there were some really fascinating marketing takeaways. You know, not anything that you know unheard of or that we wouldn't assume was a norm, but it was nice to have data to support it. And two of the major takeaways that I had were all about like simplicity as a lifeline and being that from 2019 to 2020, we've seen a 60% increase in searches for easy and also a 65% growth in watch time for step-by-step or for beginners or how-to videos. So I think that's a great segue and great takeaway for the wine industry you know there's a, this thirst for knowledge and this thirst for easy and this thirst for sort of step by step so i think we can lean into that and um you know position a lot of our marketing communications around that a lot of our content um another really fascinating the second takeaway that i saw was um all about there's been going to be some major changes in the way that consumers buy. And they're looking a, a lot for, like I said, that knowledge and that education. And there's been a 45% increase over 2019 in views of recipes and cooking. So we knew recipes were important um, in the wine space, but now even more so than ever. And that, sorry, that was a 45% increase in recipes and cooking videos in 2020 alone. So that's phenomenal. Um, so if you're not already out there producing video content with recipes, everyone should, um, should start because consumers, that's what they're looking for. So those, that's my interesting sort of takeaway for the week. Pretty, pretty valuable stuff. Um, I, I think it's fascinating to hear how much change there's been. It's obviously um, in response in large part to COVID-19 uh, and understandable. More people are cooking at home, so they want to get at it creatively. How about you, Lisa? What have you been seeing well, going on in the market? 
I have, um, I work with a winery who is actually featured in a story in the Chronicle, um, Papa Pietro Perry over in Dry Creek Valley. And they were featured in a story that was about the reopening and caution in terms of reopening and the steps that they've taken. And I, you know, knew it was going to appear on Sunday and I was very excited and um, went to look at the food and wine section in the San Francisco Chronicle and the story wasn't there because they had placed it in the business and technology section, which I thought was very interesting. So they were using the wine industry as an example for businesses across the board on how to do things. And um, the owners were very cautious. Um, Renee Perry, who you both met, she's been on our show, was quoted in the story and saying that, you know, of course they're afraid and they're scared and they want to keep their staff safe and they want to keep their consumers safe. But, you know, being involved with them, I know that the first Saturday they were open, they were completely sold out. So people are very anxious to get out and go to wine country and they have to have reservations and there are a lot of precautions in place. But that particular winery, as you saw when we interviewed her, has a huge outdoor space. So they have, they're set up to host guests and they're doing it now, which is pretty exciting. Um, So that, that was one thing. Um, there was something else that came to mind. Oh, I know. Um, I was fortunate to sit in on a webinar um, that Sonoma County Vintners hosted. And one of the takeaways from that webinar was that it used to be that in publications, the one tank of gas sort of trips were the norm. And now um, we're moving into the trend of the six and seven tank of gas trips because people are not ready to fly and they don't know that they, it's, it's unlikely people will fly in 2020. And it's unlikely people will fly even in 2021 um, until things really settle down and we have a handle on this. So for the wine industry, I think it's really important to think about, you know, those concentric circles from where you're located and who's going to come visit you and taste your wines. Is it one tank of gas or three or six or seven? You know, how far are people willing to go? So those are a couple things that are at top of mind for me this past week. Really pertinent information. Uh, it really resonates with me and the things I've been trying to tell my clients as well. I think we're, we're going to be seeing a lot of this because as you said, Lisa, it's going to be a while before people are feeling comfortable to fly. So most of our tasting room visitors are going to be from a, a drivable distance. Um, definitely yeah. seems to be the route to go. Definitely. And if, if folks are planning to visit, just know that these wineries also have very limited space. We at St. Supery have opened and, you know, we're operating at a limited capacity to make sure that proper social distancing is occurring. And with that, you know, make sure that you are showing up for your appointments. And, you know, if you're sick, stay home and give the winery a call because there's a lot of people on um, like Lisa said, how um, the winery up in Dry Creek was 100% sold out. So we have a lot of waitlisted people that we can call and put them in your spot if you can't make it. There you go. Very good Sound information. Ad- yeah. Sound advice. And with that, I think it's time to introduce our guest because we are so excited to welcome to the show Margaret Valenzuela, who is the co-proprietor of Rubia Wine Cellars in Napa. So welcome to the show, Margaret. Happy it's to be great, here. Great to have you with us, and and um, we've we've got to we'll do some screenshots here uh, of the wine, which has got this beautiful label on it that we just love. Um, but I think we should back up a bit and let Margaret tell us uh, her story of Rubia wine cellars. Oh wait, everybody, hold hold those bottles up for a second, and then I will get 
another screenshot here. Okay, I got another screenshot with all the bottles in it. So Margaret, uh, let's talk a little bit about Rubia and how it came about to be from the beginning. All right. Um, my husband Joe and I are Texans and as you know, Texas has a love affair with Napa Valley um, and the Sonoma uh, Valley as well. So we honeymooned in San Francisco 32 years ago and took a day trip uh, to the valley and visited uh, Domaine Carneros. And we were not wine drinkers. We knew very little about the area, but thought it sounded like a fun day trip and we were enthralled. It was, it just opened up this whole new world to us. Um, but we also had then uh, not too long after that children and we're building our careers. And so we didn't come back to the Valley for probably 20 years. And, wow. and when we did, it was again, an aha moment. But by then we had teenagers and we were ready to have a new favorite getaway spot. So this became our destination of choice. And uh, we had built uh, businesses in the legal services industry. And by that point had an office in San Francisco. So we could pair a work trip with a long weekend in the Valley. And so we were spending a fairly considerable amount of time here. Uh, when our younger son left home for college, we decided to be a little more serious and um, start house hunting. So we spent a couple of years staying for a month at a time in different towns that dotted the valley and eventually um, settled on a home in Yonville. Concurrent with that, probably for six years leading up to the house purchase, we had friends from Texas who lived out here and he was a winemaker, Vance Rose. So he made a barrel of Sauvignon Blanc for us in 2013. And that was our introduction to Rubia and the wine world. And for the first three or four years, we made small amounts. It was really more for friends and family. And then we decided that we were ready to be more serious about it. And so we uh, hired Julian Bayard to be our winemaker and rebranded. Um, and that's when we came up with the new label. And so since 2016, we have been focused on running it as a business rather than as a hobby. Um, we exited the companies uh, that we had owned last year and so now are focused full-time on this all day every day and what a great job where every glass of wine you drink is research we love it <laughs> and for for listeners out there if you're not i mean for us in the wine industry julian fayard is um you know a legend in his own right with his yep. winemaking capabilities um but if you haven't heard of him i highly encourage you know going to rubiawinecellars.com on their people section, you can learn more about Julian. I mean, he's just a fascinating individual who moved from France to the Napa Valley back in 2006 and has been associated with some phenomenal wine brands. So he's definitely worth um, looking into and trying these wines from Rubia Wine Cellars. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely delicious. And I suppose what we should do is just get started with one of them. We've got three to try today. And I'm just going to guess, Margaret, that you would like to start with the 2019 Rubia Truchard Chardonnay. How is my guesswork? 
your guesswork is spot on. Yes, that would be wonderful. <laughs> All um, right. So why don't I turn it over to you, Margaret, to tell us how it came about that you added this to your portfolio. Absolutely. You know, we made Sauvignon Blanc for about three years and then uh, decided that we would transition to Chardonnay. And we started with the Russian River that we'll taste next. Uh, our first vintage was 2017. But being from Texas, we, we wanted something that was also you know, more what we would call a summer sipper, something that you could drink when it was really warm outside and that it could be served a little colder out by the pool. So Julian said he thought it would be a nice addition to the portfolio to have an unoaked Chardonnay and that it would drink similarly to a Sauvignon Blanc. So we uh, made this for the first time, bottled it this past January, and it is uh, 2019, spent five months in stainless steel. Uh, you know, we like to say, this is what Chardonnay actually tastes like. And believe me, I like Chardonnay that's aged in barrels as well, but it's fun to taste the grape on its own. And, uh, I think it's fresh, light, uh, very pretty, and uh, we feel very lucky to have Trichard fruit for this, yeah. and it will continue. We are going to grow it. It's doing very well. Yeah, I, I would say that in, you know, at a glance at the bottle and um, perhaps not the bottle shape, but the glance at the bottle, at the color, and in the glass, that would, you know, most people would think it was a Sauvignon Blanc, and I'm a huge Sauvignon Blanc fan, so, but then you definitely get that absolute Chardonnay nose, you know, before you taste it, it doesn't, doesn't smell like a Sauvignon Blanc, but it's very clean and crisp and austere and minerally and beautiful. It is. Thank you. We're very, very pleased with it. It's, it's exactly what we needed uh, for the, the lineup. And I, you know, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say very, very, very bright. Like it's very, very nice. I love, you can actually taste the green apple and um, oak Chardonnay, you know, you really lose that component. So it's really right. nice to try that. Thank you. Yes, we, we are pleased. I uh, wanted to add um, the Trichard Vineyard is famous for its Chardonnay. Uh, Trichard Vineyard is positioned um, in Southwest Napa. Uh, it actually straddles, I believe the Rogers earthquake fault. Um, so across different levels, they have been in Napa, the Trouchard family has been in Napa Valley since I believe the late 70s um, and uh, have a label of their own as well. But they do uh, sell their grapes to a very few carefully selected <laughs> clients to make more beautiful Chardonnay from their grapes. And this absolutely fits in line with um, the stellar stuff that, that, that comes out of their vineyards. And it's only, only 12.5% alcohol, which is totally in the, the realm of summer sipping wine. You know, it's nice and light and easy. Perfect for a day like today in late June where um, it's pretty toasty outside and you need something refreshing um, with just enough to, to, to kind of, you know, quaff over. So great, great stuff. Good, good addition to the lineup, Margaret. Thank you. We're very pleased. 
Yeah, we have a pool at our house, um, Margaret, and we do quite a lot of entertaining. So I think this is going to have to become a new staple. It's wonderful. <laughs> it absolutely fits. Right. And while we're at it, um, since uh, Misty was pointing to the bottle in front of her, can we talk a little bit about the choice of the name Rubia Wine Cellars and how you developed the wine label? It's very beautiful. I'm happy to. Uh, when I was a child, I lived in Mexico. My dad worked in the mining industry, so we lived down in the interior of Mexico. And uh, being blonde and blue-eyed was a bit unusual. So the nickname for blondes in Spanish is either Weta or Rubia. So that was my nickname uh, as a little girl. And right. then Joe and I have uh, two sons. So when thinking about a name for the wine, he said, I'd like to call it Rubia. I think that would be a fun name. And so we had uh, an artist that designed the label and his thinking was that there are so many labels with words that sometimes it's difficult to pick them out. And as a new brand that it might be difficult to stand out. So he wanted an image. So he had the artist draw uh, what I say is a very loving version <laughs> of how he sees me. <laughs> now we've been married for 32 years. So it is obviously a, a, a prior version of Margaret, but <laughs> it's a lovely gesture. And who could say no to that when he told me that's what it's beautiful and you don't right. have to say it's a prior version of well, you. you know, I looked at it and I went, oh, this is Margaret. It wasn't difficult <laughs> no. to figure that out at all. I have said I'm going to have to have soft lens as we go on, but it's a very sweet, uh, very, very sweet thing. And I love yes. scarves. So uh, I wear scarves quite a bit and we change the scarf color by uh, wine. So you'll notice there's a difference. The blend is a pattern and the Cabernet is a solid red. The Truchard is a different color than the um, Russian River. So it's just kind of a fun way at a glance to know what wine it is that you're picking up. Very nice. I, it's funny because um, I met Margaret very briefly <laughs> this okay. week and when I looked at the label, when I took it out, I was like, oh my goodness, it's her. Like I knew right away. So be kind to yourself. Well, I knew very it was sweet. you. <laughs> I, 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 I love it, but it, it's just, um, we, I've had the reaction before at events where people will look at it and kind of look at me and say, oh, that's you. Oh, that's you. But you can tell they're processing it. It's cute. I, I love it. We talk a lot about that as, as women, Margaret, we're always like, well, geez, women always underestimate themselves. And we always, um, you know, we'll always sort of backtrack like that where, you know, if it happened to be a man on the label, he'd be like, yeah, that's, that's me on the label. <laughs> I, know. I know it, but I guess old habits die hard, right? And yeah. So I, I love that because that touches upon some other topics that we've um, covered in past season, in past Absolutely. episodes. And I'm actually very comfortable with it, but I just joke about it. So no, we love well, it. It is. It's a I, lot of fun. I think it's cool because it has sort of a retro vibe, but yeah. it's very sophisticated and elegant and modern at the same time. And um, I, I just, I really, I love it. Like I could see it as a print, so I could see it. You know, different things yes. you can do with it. So it's really, it's beautiful. Yes, I have uh, groups of friends who all. Uh, 
argue about where they are in the background. They've all chosen <laughs> a favorite figure. <laughs> to which which one, one of the women in the background? Yes. Exactly. Yeah, no, cl clearly that's Misty, Marsha, and Lisa. <laughs> in a lot of different settings. Today. Today it is. <laughs> um, that Google um, search report that I referenced earlier, they saw a thousand percent increase in searches for what to watch. And when I first met Margaret back um, a few months back in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. I had mentioned to her like, oh my gosh, like I, you know, I hadn't really been watching any Netflix series, but um, I had just recently started watching some. And some of these like very glamorous international um, shows that feature, I've been watching a few in Spanish and a couple in um, some other languages. And so it's fan, fan, there's definitely some characters that this um, label could resemble and some of those series set back in like the 60s. So very um, retro and fashion, great wine to sit while you're watching your Netflix. Yes, we tell Julie and we think it is the perfect uh, label for a Frenchman to be making the wine. I think he is definitely making it in that style. It's a little bit uh, more feminine, We're trying to go for lower alcohols. Um, the reds, that's a little harder to do with our heat here, but um, certainly the whites we are, so yeah. Most definitely. And I wanted to mention some interesting things that you put on the label and on your website, because I think I'm going to guess that you probably put a lot of thought into this, but it's important for um, setting your, your brand apart from others. You put on your label to stand out and make a mark in the world, embrace your differences and believe in who you are. And we know as, as all women that it's harder in this industry because it's more male dominated overall. Uh, and Sometimes as a woman, when you try to make your mark and stand out and be different, sometimes people kind of come around and, you know, squash you down a minute and it's a little, it can be difficult to stand up for your differences, but got to hang in there and do it. So I, I, I applaud you for endorsing that philosophy. Well, thank you. I was very lucky in, in our previous career, we, we grew a company and throughout uh, the 20 plus years that we owned it, our management team was equally comprised of men and women. And that created a wonderful dynamic. That diversity of perspective throughout the years really helped us make decisions with, with consideration of the viewpoints. And Think it helped us grow a really great company and so we kind of were the little company that could and I feel like that coming into this business now that's dominated by some very large players that again we're going to say there's a place for us in this world and and we'll find it you do have to just embrace what sets you apart what makes you different and what your story or journey is to get here and and work from that. So it's been fun. It's been exciting. And this is a very welcoming valley for that model. Uh, True. We're very helpful and generous with their time and advice. And it's been a lot of fun. Would you have any advice for um, other listeners out there who, you know, maybe are thinking about, 
embarking in the wine business. And, you know, I mean, you came, you traveled from Texas, so you, you know, started a second career in wine. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that have those aspirations. Yes. You know, our, our motto professionally uh, before and continues now is that we were going to have a company that was ethical, that was profitable, and that was fun. And, and the, the first two, you know, you have to be profitable at a point to continue in the business. Certainly, you want to operate ethically. Uh, but the fun part, I think some people lose sight of. There's romance to this that, that uh, you feel very strongly in the beginning of it. But, but you have to find a way to continue to enjoy that because there are parts of this job that are absolutely magical. I think being at a harvest and imagining what those bins of grapes are going to be in nine months or a year and a half or two and a half years, whatever it is, just is a beautiful thing. And um, being in the winery and the camaraderie of the crew that is working there is just great. So you, you have to make sure that you love it enough to be able to continue to enjoy it when there are difficult moments, which there are in any job. Very true. Yeah. Very great, true. great advice. All right, I suppose we should now move on to your other Chardonnay. This would be the 2017 Russian River Chardonnay. Yes. Um, and, and we should say all of these Chardonnays have, been, have come from the Wente clone. Correct. Uh, but they express themselves very differently. And I think uh, we should let you, Margaret, talk about the differences between the two Chardonnays and, and what your overall goals were here. Absolutely. Uh, so this is from a vineyard called the Krasilsa Vineyard in the Russian River. Um, we actually uh, worked with that vineyard for our 2017 and 2018 vintages. And then starting last year with the 2019 vintage, we are now using um, Chardonnay from the Ritchie Vineyard. Um, but they will all be, uh, I think, similar in style in that they are going to be um, in a combination of neutral oak and new oak for anywhere from nine months to maybe 15 months, depending on how they're coming along. Uh, I think that this one is very bright as well, uh, but you do pick up more of a creaminess. Uh, you know, I think in the citrus profile, maybe a little more lemon curd or a uh, little, little softer on the palate than the first. And I think this one is, um, really nice uh, when enjoyed with food. I mean, it's fun to have a glass of it, but this, I think, although it's 12.5% alcohol as well, to me is really beautiful with um, appetizers. We have it a lot as our starter uh, or with seafood, um, wonderful with scallops. So yes, uh, yes, we, we really enjoyed um, having the two. We've had a lot of people comment that they don't very often taste an unoaked Chardonnay and an oak Chardonnay in a wine tasting. So it's been kind of fun to have that in the lineup. Um, mostly, you know, you focus on reds and how people have enjoyed that. They're, the unoaked and I oak Chardonnays it. are so different. Mm -hmm. um, immediately, what came to mind to me was, oh, this has got the classic creme brulee nose to it. 
um, that an oat Chardonnay is going to have. It's still, it's still very delicate, you know, and by delicate, I mean that in a good way that it's balanced. It is not uh, overwhelming um, in, in the barrel program there. And I'm sure that is due to Julian's influence and uh, winemaking style is he knows just how to keep that all balanced. Um, Misty and Lisa, what's, what, what are you getting off of this Russian River Chardonnay? Oh, I'm loving the creaminess and the yeah. finish that's just going on and on and on. And I can, I'm in, imagining this with all of my favorite um, dishes. I, I was sensing a little like cream soda, that sort of real satisfying um, flavor reminds me of my childhood in a way, but um, when Margaret mentioned the scallops, I, I immediately thought about grilled shrimp kebabs or something like that with this, but I'm trying to think of like the summer vegetables with a little bit of char on them would be delicious with this. And the thing I really like about it is you don't have to hunt for the Chardonnay in it. You know, there's the nice touch of oak, but you can still taste that, you know, you can still taste the grape like you could with the unoaked Chardonnay, which is really nice. And um, mushrooms for me tend to be really overpowering and people often only think of pairing mushrooms with red wine, but I um, am a huge fan of sauteed mushrooms with just a really thick butter base and adding um, some of this wine to it with a little bit of seasoning would be amazing. I like that idea. Ooh, it's delicious. Great idea. And the one that came to mind to me was one you probably all know, uh, but it'll be harder for our listeners who are further away to follow, which was uh, Bistro's Don Giovanni's Butternut Squash Ravioli. Uh, this to me, it would fit right in there uh, because That's it has all those elements of cream and butter, um, but it's got little spice notes to it which are just beautiful and it's all very well integrated. So a very beautiful Chardonnay. And very elegant. I'm also thinking like, um, I mean, obviously I wouldn't pair it with a dessert, but um, it's reminiscent for me of some of the French pastries that I've tried and some of the French desserts um, with a little bit of citrus um, and then that traditional like very rich creaminess. So it's um, very, very nice. We actually have had it before with uh, key lime pie, and it was really oh, good. That sounds yummy. Nice combination. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds good. Yes. So thank you. Uh, we we think it's um, the two of them together are uh, a lot of fun in our lineup, right where we want to be. Can we go back to Texas for a minute, Margaret? Where are you from in Texas? Joe and I grew up in a small town called Alpine. It's in West Texas, it's a town of 5,000 people. So we're mm. one of those couples. We went to school together since fifth grade. And I say it took me until the summer after high school to win him over. But I uh, admired him from afar for several years and we were friends since we were 10 years old. So um, <laughs> that's yeah. a beautiful story. So well, thank you. We're, we're very lucky. He's a wonderful man and he's been so fun in this wine journey. We are really enjoying, uh, you know, you kind of worry about the empty nest years and what that's going to be after so many years of having children at home. And this has been so fun. We are really enjoying this chapter. And what school did you attend in Texas? 
I went to a small school in Alpine for two years um, called Saul Ross, which I think will actually be getting renamed as it should. Um, and then I went to court reporting school in Houston and I worked for the first 10 years of my career as a court reporter and then segued into the, the legal services business. So were you close to the, the Texas wine country then being in West Texas? We weren't. It's more in central Texas, kind of the hill country. Okay. There is, it's, yeah. you know, in the last few years, they have started growing quite a bit of fruit up in um, the Lubbock area. But we have not visited uh, tasting rooms there. A lot of them grow it there, but actually sell it to wineries in the hill country and, you know, the mm -hmm. fruit there. Um, and we did visit the hill country uh, probably two years ago. Very impressed. It's a there are some really large facilities and uh, tasting rooms, and for for you know people who want to, to enjoy some wines locally um, and can't make a trip out here as often, it's it's really coming along. They are they're making some um, great strides, I think, in growing that area. So yeah, it was fun to see here. Yeah. It is impressive. I've looked at some visitorship reports and I'm amazed to see that um, some of those Texas wineries with all the loyal following that they'll actually see um, sometimes equivalent visitors to what we see in Napa and Sonoma. So Thank it's um, a lot Good of local, a lot of locals. It's interesting. We, I can't remember the exact number, but one winery that we went to had, I can't, I want to say tens of thousands of wine club members, which I, they'd only been open like six or seven years. And you're just looking at it thinking, wow, <laughs> to you, that is quite the accomplishment. That's a, that's and a they are growing. Like my, my, my in-laws live um, outside of Austin in the hill country. So in Spicewood, Texas, yes. and my brother-in-law lives in Austin. And it's fun because, you know, we always gift them wine and um, I get back these Texas wines, but it's interesting to see the varietals that they are growing in Texas. It's different from California. They're um, growing a little bit more warmer climate, climate varietals. We're seeing yeah. some Tempranillos come out of there and mm -hmm. um, it, it's fun to see. Yeah, it is. They, they are definitely, um, I think, growing and thriving. They are. Very nice. Let's take a look at the 2017 Napa Valley Red Blend, which yes. one you also you also make a Napa Cabernet Sauvignon as well. But today we're tasting the Napa Valley Red Blend. Yes, um, from 2017. Uh, I, I have to say my initial response, and I I've had a lot of Julian's wines from uh -huh. uh, various wineries and I, as soon as i hear his name i'm always very encouraged um because he has such a stellar reputation for making such beautiful wines yes and on the nose the first thing that came to mind was christmas now you may think that's a pretty strange note but oh. i mean that in terms of it, christmas in terms of happiness in terms of all the the good associations that you would have with family getting together and, and lots of integrated um, uh, flavor notes and aroma notes from 
you know, currants to berries to juniper, all different things. And it just, yeah. it made me think, it made me think of happy notes. So. Well, I like that. I think that's a great association. Um, this is two thirds Merlot and it, it's going to vary, you know, by percentage each year, but we want to have predominant uh, Merlot profile and then um, finishing with Cabernet. So this year it was two thirds Merlot, one third Cabernet. And uh, I think it's a great way to share uh, some of our Cabernet, but at a, a lower price point. Our, right. our son, our older son um, said, mom, you need to make a red wine that my friends and I can can buy. And I said, okay, I think that's very fair. And so um, this is one that he was really happy to share with them when we bottled it. And I loved that. Um, you know, ultimately all of this is we hope for them someday. So nice right. for them to be part of the plan. Big, big part of um, building a winery uh, is is what your considerations are for uh, family, whether or not it's something that interest them to continue on another generation or not and yeah. even the most well-established big names in wine from mandavi to gallo and so forth and all of the you know third fourth fifth generations of those level wineries all say a lot of the time that they went away they wanted to get away from it and see what the rest of the world was like away from wine and then sure enough, almost all of them always come back. Yes, yes. I, I guess I understand that. I think growing up in a small town like we did, we wanted to go out and you know see this big, wonderful world, but, but appreciate now so many of the great things about it. And, um, and I, I, I'm sure succession planning is important for these wineries. You do need to know if at some point the kids are going to be interested to come back. Um, we'll have the opposite. I think they're going to both want to come uh, sooner rather than later. And we're saying, no, we're still, we're, yeah, we're happy not taking to over yet. Right yeah, you do your thing. It's a, it's our little project right now, but we'll grow it to a point where you can come out in a few years. So there you go. Yes. Hey ladies, what, what do you want to say about this beautiful red blend? I'm loving um, Oh, the red, the red fruit. Go ahead, Misty. I'm really loving the red fruit component of this. It's real, they're really coming out. Like it's, you know, typical with Merlot, you get a little bit more plum and raspberry and it's really true um, to- so uh, integrated. I know, it's really, it's fantastic. And then the cabinet, nice structure and balance. It's just such a fantastic wine. Nicely done. I think I'm almost um, getting like herbal, like bay leaves out of the nose to begin with. And then, but then there's that really nice silkiness of the Merlot. And I, I think the high-end Merlot on the rise is really exciting. I think Merlot is a beautiful grape that for a long time was misaligned. So I applaud you for doing a blend that's mostly Merlot. And I agree with Misty in that the Cabernet really provides really nice structure and, um, you know, other notes. And then, yeah, the red fruit. It's really beautiful. It's silky. It is. I, I would, it is. It's, I think, again, you know, more of a feminine profile, which is very fitting with the label and our story. And 
Very much so. Yes. Uh, Margaret, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, the vineyard where the Merlot was sourced. It's an Atlas Peak um, vineyard. Yes, it was. Uh, what do you want to tell us about it? Well, um, it was a uh, property that Julian had worked with and very sadly, uh, that was the year of the fires. And so after the fruit was harvested that year and um, in the production facility, they lost it in the fire. So it, um, I believe, has been replanted now, but there won't be fruit from it for several years. Wow. Oh. I know. I guess there are just sadly many of those stories from that vintage. Yeah. Yes. Um, Joe, that year, worked in a, a harvest internship at B Cellars. Mm-hmm. And he, he was pretty sure he knew what he was signing up for, but the reality of it uh, was incredible. He loved it. Uh, he was there for probably a little over three months, um, lost 30 pounds. I was traveling back and forth from Texas still, and every time I would come in, I would say, you are going to disappear. You must start eating again. This was just crazy. Uh, but he, he really came to understand the amount of work that goes into winemaking and you know, compounded that year by fires and power outages and you know so many challenges that were thrown at people. And um, so those wines hold a really special place in our heart, that vintage, uh, just because there are stories associated with almost every bottle. That was right. quite and we yes. should mention for our listeners that the Rubio wine cellars um, wines that we are drinking are available only in extremely small quantities. So you got to snap them up while you can, because in many cases, you've only made it 125 or 150 cases, really small amount. And, and like you said, you know, you, the Atlas Peak Vineyard um, went with the fires, totally unplanned, of course, but, um, you know, once they're gone, they're gone, and you want to, you want to get in on these, uh, even though they can, they could age quite some time. I'm sure Julian has said what, you know, 10 years, um, but they're totally drinkable now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're, we're trying for that style because we know, um, that, consumers tend to do that a bit more these days and so want to make things that are approachable. They're, de they're definitely made with um, such care and the complexity. I mean, I could easily see these wines also holding up for, for many years to come. So for those library collectors out there, they still would be some nice, definitely Absolutely. nice wines to add to your collection. Yes. Really beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about um, taking visitors, particularly in the era of COVID, and your wine club a little bit. Margaret, what would you like to tell our listeners about both of those? Um, we have uh, the opportunity to work in a tasting room uh, that is at Julian's Winemaking Facility in Napa. It's called the Green Room. It's a really fun space. It has one wall of glass that looks out onto the production floor, much like a green room does. I don't know if you're going right. on to a 
television show. And uh, so it's an urban chic setting, but looking out at the production facility and it gives you a little bit of both. We can walk people out to tour them through, do some barrel tasting, depending on what's happening. People might have a chance to see uh, a bottling taking place or racking wines or all kinds of activities that would be going on in a winery. So um, clients that have wines made there by Julian uh, can share the room. And so it's appointment only. Uh, you can schedule it on our website. And we uh, take typically two tastings a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. So it's a small setting and only for one group at a time, which is actually helpful right now you know we can accommodate groups of up to six but it would be only your group in right. the with the host and um we maybe would look for uh having our own space at some point but right now with the volumes that we're making we we are able to sell what we have through that and that's uh, important in, yes so we'll see as we grow. That's a really important part because I certainly remember hearing stories from other very well-known wineries now that when they first started out, they made a ton of wine and then found that selling the wine was infinitely harder than making the wine. And they had a, they had a lot more wine for any one vintage then they could sell and it was a real challenge for them. And so their lesson in hindsight to people who came after them was, you know, only make what you can sell and then growing from there bit by bit. And um, sounds like a smart advice um, to go from that. Uh, what are you doing right now in terms, are you doing a wine club or, or allocation? How is, how is that working for your Rubia fans? Yes, we, we do have a mailing list. Uh, and so we do send out announcements when we release new bottlings. It's not um, a formal allocation system per se, mm -hmm. but it has worked very well to this point that when that happens, a nice amount of it sells. Uh, to that list. And then we went into distribution for the first time at the beginning of this year in Texas. And the wines are actually doing very well. So yes, I, I was pleased with that. I wasn't um, expecting, I thought it might be a little more difficult being a new brand. But the fact that we have Texas roots uh, definitely resonates with people and they like the style that the wines are being made in so it's been fun it's it's as fun to host people in the tasting room i have found as it is to go out with the distributor and talk to wine shops and restaurants about it um, fun. i have the best job in the world right now i love it yeah that's the way to go that's the, that's the non-job job it is and you yeah. absolutely love it so it doesn't feel like a job and just so listeners, in case you missed it, you go to Rubia, R-U-B-I-A, winesellers.com. Do I have that right? You do. Thank okay, you. Okay, good. I yes. want to make sure. It's an easy way to find it because these are absolutely delicious. Uh, um, it looked like somebody else had a question or was I wrong? 
it's a little difficult in Zoom to tell when somebody's ready to jump in. Yes, it is. When we do these in person, it's a little easier that way. Um, what have we not covered, Margaret, that we should make sure that listeners know about Rubia Wine Cellars? Oh, goodness. Uh, you know, I think that I would just encourage people to, to support and to visit when you feel that you can do so safely this wonderful valley. Um, it is an interesting time for all of us, but I have participated in uh, multiple industry meetings, both from Napa Valley Vintners, from the Yountville uh, Chamber of Commerce, and I'm so impressed with uh, the, the spirit of cooperation, of wanting to do the right thing in terms of uh, setting limits on the numbers of visitors and how things are going to be handled um, to still allow people to enjoy wine and the valley as we work through this continued yeah. situation. And, yeah, um, nobody's ever dealt with this before. It's a little no. tricky for everybody. Yes, but there's a real, uh, there's a very sincere uh, desire to do things right. And uh, I, I definitely feel that people who are open are, are opening their doors, having fully considered the implications of doing so and that you can feel comfortable coming here and visiting. That's really important. So it I'm glad is. you mentioned that, Margaret. Um, it's, it's important for everybody to know that um, everything's going to be sanitized and prepared for you and then, and then, and then for the next group and, and that type of thing. Yes. Um, so, you can, so everybody can feel safe. Oh, it looks like there was a little bit of a glitch on um, Marsha's program, but mine's okay. So I think it's important yeah. part. Marsha, uh, there was a little bit of lag. Um, it looked like maybe your internet connection um, stopped for a quick second. So we missed that. Bumpy. Is it back? Yeah, yeah you're fully back. The, jo the joys of the internet, the joys and the woes of the internet. It sounds like a line from, um, um, what am I thinking of? Uh, uh, the French Revolution book. What am I thinking of here? You know what I'm talking about. Name is Rob. Best of times, it was the worst of times. Name is Rob. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's our internet. a red flag. <laughs> it was the best of connections, it was the worst of connections. Um, and anyway, I, I wanted to ask Margaret another question because we are, Wine Women is all about supporting women in the wine industry, supporting women to help accelerate their careers because it can, it can be more difficult for women in their careers. Um, what have you learned and or want to share with our listeners who are women uh, or who advise women? Um, that might help them feel like this will help propel me forward? Well, I certainly think there are different verticals within this industry. And so to, to fully research that and understand where you see yourself um, 
advancing or what your interests mm -hmm. are is important because you need to have a plan uh, for doing for doing that and and I think you need to identify a mentor if at all possible we all need somebody to run ideas by and to to ask about situations and um, you know I was very lucky to have that for so many years I have met some wonderful people here um, Rebecca that is in charge of sales for Julian is my lifeline I call her frequently when I have a situation and it's so nice to have somebody say no that's not a dumb question let me tell you how that works and um, very kind and, and Joe and I have laughed at ourselves we've made plenty of mistakes as we've gone through this and you know I would say to people who who make one and think it's going to be this huge big deal no it's going to be something you probably will never do again and you'll learn from it so to not be so hard on yourself about it it's it's just part of the process of growing in any industry but you know i think in an industry that is still more male dominated as a female you would tend to be harder on yourself thinking you don't have the same room for missteps and of course you absolutely do so <laughs> just it's part of that's a, it's important. I think that's a very important distinction to make, Margaret, because women, women have found historically that a lot of the time there's a double standard in right. terms of the quality and or quantity of their work. And uh, I really appreciate your saying that. <laughs> uh, well, I was just going, really I was going to ask and add, sorry, Marcia. Um, I think, Margaret, that coming from the legal world, there was, that was probably male dominated as well. So you probably learned a lot there that you could carry into, and, and probably people in other industries can do the same thing. Maybe you can comment on that. Yes, I, I would say, you know, when I think back to starting as a court reporter in the late 80s, I was probably 95% of the time in a room of all men. And, um, and I learned a lot about that. I, and from that, you know, for the most part, it was a great experience. They were very nice. They were very thoughtful, you know, polite. Uh, it, it all worked well, but, but there was also, you know, kind of tough joking amongst themselves and you were there for, you know, part of it. Um, but I think it, it helped me uh, be able to adapt situationally uh, to, other situations you're kind of used to to that um, and and I would say in our company as we grew we did focus on having um, I think at multiple points we had more female employees and male employees that was just how it worked out but um, the the environment that that created was very positive in our opinion and I, I I think in the wine world, you're starting to see that more. A lot of, a lot of female winemakers now and assistant winemakers who are female and certainly in the, uh, on the business side of things, you are seeing you know, an increased presence as well as in the hospitality side. So it is a career that is very definitely open to women in every area, uh, but you'll just, You'll have to 
find somebody to help you navigate that. I think a mentor is extremely important. And I am so amazed that Joe actually jumped in as a harvest intern. That yeah, I was so impressed. Was. That is amazing to me because so many people that enter the wine industry, like it'll be a second career for them. It's a second career for them, you know, and they're starting a wine brand or whatnot, but not often do they have that tactical knowledge of actually working a harvest. And you're right. It is so hard. And whether you're a male or a female, we're seeing yes. so many, you know, so many, it's just, a, it's a world sort of um, mix of people of generation, of um, different ages. So that's exciting. And from all over the world too, oftentimes, oh, right? Absolutely. I mean, cars and interns come from everywhere. They do. That's, that's yeah. a great point though, Marsha. I've spoken with our um, winemaking team and they are having such a hard time this year because of travel restrictions. Right. So, this right. year's harvest. Their, their international interns won't be able to make it. And it looks like with the current EU saying no US travelers going to the EU, that anybody yes. who was thinking of doing their internship in France or Italy and so forth um, may be excluded from that as well. So, as has happened in many past years, the industry is looking at a lot of unusual challenges it hasn't faced before, but everybody will rise to the occasion and figure out how to muddle through because that's what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're just about at the end of our time here. I really want to thank Margaret Valenzuela, who is one of the proprietors of Rubia Wine Cellars in Napa Valley for guesting with us today. Very much appreciate your time, Margaret, and very much appreciate your letting us. Oh my gosh, your beautiful, beautiful wines. wines. These are absolutely stellar. We love them. Uh, and we hope that um, a lot of our listeners will seek you out and schedule some tasting appointments from near and far because um, these are really beautifully made wines that they should be seeking out. Be, uh, particularly because there's so few of them at only 125 or 150 cases. Yeah. So Margaret, thank you. I want to give you a quick second. If there's any last thing, Margaret, that you want to say to our listeners. Only that I appreciate very much the opportunity to be here and tell our story. And I'm so pleased that you enjoyed the wines. And so I raise a glass to the three. Ooh, to you thank as well. Cheers. And I want to thank you, Misty, uh, who popped up on my screen now for whatever reason, because Zoom chooses different people to pop up to different times. Uh, thank you as well for helping on hosting all of this. And Lisa Adams-Walter, to you as well uh, for trying thank you. and providing your insight on all of them. So cheers, ladies, to all of you. And to clink. <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for tuning into Wine Women Radio Hour. We really appreciate your tuning in. Until next week, ladies. Thank you. It's been Wine Women Radio Hour. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.